0: Like what's up, baby? Here, hey, yeah.
1: Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number fifty-five. I haven't always been saying the episode number, but I am now. With me, as always, my two gracious, beautiful, lovely co-hosts. Up first, Jess Dunks. Say hello, Jess.
2: Hello, my name is Jess.
1: Yes, yes, I said that. <laughs> also, we have. Back again, Brian Philliman, Yes, thank you. Yes. Back now. Yay, no
3: more Ben McDowell.
1: No, we don't have to have Ben McDowell on anymore. Don't have to have him anymore, no. You. I'm forced <laughs> upon you. Also, on. in this very special episode, we have a very special guest, Calvis Laprery. Prairie? Prairie. Calvis, pronounce your last name and then tell us who you are.
0: La LaPriere. La La Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, level one uh, judge from Alexander, Louisiana.
3: Louisiana. Is yes, sir. it, it Louisiana or
0: Louisiana? It Depends on what part of the nation you're from. Louisiana, Louisiana? Louisiana? Louisiana. That that's, that's us, uh, us guys from Louisiana. We like to pronounce it like that.
1: That That's, that's nuts. Hey, let's dive into the <laughs> news. <laughs> Calvis is on to help us out with our main topic, which will be testing and uh, with a focus on testing with dyslexia, but just in general, judge testing. But first off, let's hop into our news, which is only one item. We have a brand new Level 3 named Daniel So. might be Soleil. I've never met him, unfortunately. He's in Europe somewhere, an indescri- indescript place in Europe. <laughs> 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 We research our news before we start at He's certified at GP Bochum, 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 wow, pronounce it. (laughs)
2: Again with the research. Yeah, I
1: I know where he's certified, but I don't know where he lives. Anyway, congratulations. Somebody made L3 somewhere, and we're real proud of him. Congratulations, Daniel. You've made us all proud. (laughs) Well, us proud. Apparently, CJ couldn't be bothered to look up where you're from. Where am I going to go? The Judge Center? Oh, uh, that okay. would have made a lot of sense, actually. I should have done oh, that. It yeah, would have made Oh, well. Sense. All right. Let's dive on in to testing techniques. So what what exactly are we going to try to go over here? Somebody tell me. Well, there's there are... <laughs> A lot of,
3: one of the ways that you, or actually the way, uh, one of the things you have to do to become an L1 or an L2 is you have to take a test. And one of the things that you can do to better your skills are take practice tests online. And so taking tests is a big part of becoming a judge. I mean, you do the studying, you do the learning, and then you take the tests to prove what you know. So it's a pretty big deal. Well, there's certain things that you can do to help you, uh, uh, succeed in that test above and above the means of mere ordinary mortals. Alright, tell us some.
2: There are a number of things you can do to take a test well. First thing is just knowing how the test is formatted, you know, knowing that it's a multiple choice test and, and how, uh, how the questions are worded, and the best way you can do that is just by taking the time ahead of time to take some practice tests uh, and figuring out how those questions are worded and the answers are worded, because a lot of times there will be a, a yes or no question with an explanation, and you say yes, but you get the wrong explanation and the question is still wrong. Uh, also, knowing the A and N naming scheme in there is, is important. And I bring this up because I didn't know this for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, whenever a player's name starts with A, they're the active player in the question, and if their name starts with N, they're the non-active player in the question. So you might see names that are really weird-looking, like, you know, Artemis and Nicodemus. It's are, always uh, Nicodemus. <laughs> always Nicodemus. Are already game. But you know that Artemis is the, the active player, and Nicodemus is the non-active player. And so it, I didn't know this until I had already passed my L2 exam, and the guy who passed me Sits down with an, uh, an L0 to give him an L1 test and explains this. And I went, that would have been so much easier. <laughs> it It is one of those things that
3: if you're not told it, you might not notice it and just think that we have this propensity to, to name people Nebuchadnezzar and
1: Nancy and <laughs> –
0: Nick and Maybe. Nate. Nick I'd and Nate. Nate and
1: Ned and <laughs> yeah. You always have Abby and Allie and are playing against Nick and Nate in a two-headed giant oh, game. Oh, the two-headed uh, giant. Okay. Alright, got it, guys.
3: Why do they start killing all these weird names? So uh one of one of the other things is since this is a multiple choice test, you know, all of those tips and tricks that you learned in middle school and high school uh, apply. You know, you will sit down and you know, the first thing you do, eliminate the obviously wrong answers. You know, normally you'll, you'll, you'll take the, you'll read the question and there'll be like, you know, three answers that say yes and two answers that say no. Well, if you know the answer is yes, well, two of those no's cross those out and then you can focus
1: in on just the questions that you care about or just the answers that you care about rather. And a recommend, recommendation I would make when doing your practice tests is to try to take them as, just like you would take the real test. I've had a I've had a bunch of people say, you know, well, I got, you know, blah, 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 low score on the practice test, but I had blah, blah, blah happening, and I was kind of watching TV at the same time. You know, something like that. Uh, I would recommend you actually just sit off, get somewhere silent, off on your own, and take it just like you would the real test just to get that experience.
3: Yeah. And, and yes, and, and the, one of the differences though between the, the, when you take the practice tests online, uh, they're timed. Yes. Whereas, whereas in real life, uh, they are not timed. Which, which, you know, you have that, when you take them online, you kind of have that, I'll say it's an artificial sense of urgency. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I'm running out of time. I better, you know, normally you've got plenty of time. Because mm-hmm. there
1: they're not as many questions as the full test. There was a time when they, uh, the five question policy test, I think it's 10 questions now, but back when it was five questions, I know it gave you an hour to take it. And I was like, well, seems fine. Yep. Another trick,
3: I won't say trick, but one, one of the things is the, sometimes the questions will, you know, get into very, very specific nitty gritty. Like I've, I've taken some practice tests where 3 of the answers will all have the exact same words in them just in different order. Yeah. It will be like which best describes what happens. And it'll be like this comma separated list of things. So one of the one of the things when you do run into questions like that is sit down and identify where the differences are in the questions you know, or sorry, in the answers, you know, okay, A and B are the exact same except for this thing, which is it? And then, and then go, okay, that's the thing that they're, that's one of the things that they're wanting to know. And then base your answer off of that.
0: Right. As far as the, uh, the, the timed, uh, online versions as well, I've went to a couple of, uh, different parts that, you know, I get to taking them, taking them, taking them, and I see the time's about to run out, and uh I have like four or five questions left. Well, a lot of times I'll just let it run out, and I'll go through and try to hide the answers the best I can, and still try to answer that question. Just kind of know that get it right or not. Cool.
3: Yeah, that's good. Cool. That uh, that helps with the learning because the 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 answer. I mean, when you're taking a practice test, it gives you the answer and the explanation anyway. So. You know, there's really no benefit for practice tests. There's really no benefit in guessing, just making wild guesses.
2: Right.
0: Right. You you go through them and you you know, you figure that out. You're like, Hey, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I like the, uh, the actual explanation they give you at the bottom because it actually says, Hey, you got this wrong. This is why you got it wrong. It kind of helps
2: everything out. You should definitely read those. I've seen people take practice tests. And then go, oh, I got you know eighty-five out of a hundred, and I that's fine. And then close the browser window and not go read the explanations and the rules.
1: Uh, yeah, that seems like a waste of time. It is. I, I Sometimes I'll read the ones, even though the ones I got right, if I wasn't like too sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll still read those. And twice, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people don't know this, but when you're taking a practice test, you can click on the actual number. Like if it's question number three, you can click on the number to submit feedback on that question. Uh, if you absolutely believe the question was wrong, which I have done twice, you can submit feedback, and then someone will get back to you and then tell you how you were wrong, and then you feel kind of dumb, which has happened to me twice.
0: Makes you feel better about life.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they're they're always over there. Uh, you know, another simple tip here for test taking is uh, just to read the cards, of course. RTFC. Yeah, I had I had a question once without going into too many details because you can't share question details, but I know it was, it was giving me some crazy situation, and it was like, which of the fallen creatures can block? And there was one creature where it just straight up said, this creature cannot block, but I just totally missed that while looking at the entire rest of the situation. So I missed that question.
0: Well, on, uh, on written tests, that's one thing that I really like to do is highlight, circle, make an arrow to some something to let you know hey there's something going on here you need to pay attention to this as you're reading out the answers or reading the rest of the question
1: yeah that's good i, I haven't done that but that it's, makes it's like just kind of marking some way the stuff you need to pay attention to
0: yeah it's like okay you know this creature's got protection from such and such well you know make some kind of underline it circle it it's got protection from what well it's got protection from this you read through the question hey he can't do that because he's got protection from it there you go good good
1: uh, so here's something I tell all my candidates cause I, it was told to me and I don't know if everyone does this, so uh, I'd like to hear other people's opinions, but I tell all my candidates to take, I give them blank sheets of paper and I say, write out the answer to every question. Now this takes forever and it hurts your hand, but write out the question, answer to every question without looking at the multiple choice. Then you go back over the test and you see if the answer you wrote out, what you believed the answer was. Matches something on the multiple choice. I, I have found that that helps me avoid mistakes because if I'm just way off, then I must have misunderstood the question something, or or I just really really don't understand that topic. But yeah,
2: that's that's that, that's actually good. I like that. That is a really good way to, uh, to do that. It is a very time-consuming time way. Kidding, yeah. Uh, I, I I tell my uh, my judge candidates. To basically do that without the writing it down part. I, I tell them to uh, have a piece of paper and cover up the answers mm-hmm. and to to think about the answer and figure out what they think the answer is, remove the piece of paper over the answers and then, uh, and then look at them to see which one matches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but I don't tell them to write it down, just, uh, So, I, so that's, that's actually an,
3: uh, an interesting thing. So with m- the the main hosts on the show, we're, we're L2s, we've given numerous L1 tests. Maybe we can just share how what we tell the candidates and then steal each
1: other's good ideas. Okay, well, I just told you.
3: Well, okay. Well, there's the
1: other thing, and I think this is pretty standard, but I give them five basic lands, one of each basic land, to help visualize. Now, personally, I've never found that actually useful. No,
0: no, 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 no. Let me stop you there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That visualization helps me out. So much yeah even I mean, even taking any 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 type of vi- you know test li- along those lines or just anything is just having that visual reference there is is so helpful
1: yeah and that 's what i 'm saying though it doesn 't help me, but I still give it to every one of my candidates because right somebody might might find different it different people
3: different people learn in different ways yeah. uh, one of the, one of the the techniques that that I love is when i when I sit down, you know I give them the basic lands, I give them scrap paper. You know, I tell them uh, one of the one of the key things to do is you know write down you know when you start taking the test write down your layers write down your steps to casting a spell so that you have those as a reference. Essentially, you are creating a cheat sheet, but you're do it, since you're doing it from memory. You know, it's okay. You know, you're doing it from memory during the actual test. That's fine. That's knowledge that you brought with you into the test. It's not outside assistance or anything like that. Um, and take the test and write down all of your answers. Don't answer on the answer key. Okay. Write down all of your answers. Take the test one time. Write down all of your answers. Then cover those answers up. Take it a second time. Okay. Then compare. Okay. This is, this is overkill. Yeah, uh, I think, but it, it, it's, it does help. Take it a second time. If your answers are the same, great. That's the answer. Put that on the answer key. Uh, if they're not, figure out why not. And then, and then, uh, put the answer accordingly. Taking care not to miss a number. Like if you start filling in this one's one, two, three, five, six, and all of your answers are shifted by one. Yeah. One of the other things, oh, when you're printing the test off, sometimes it puts the text of the cards like a little bit on the top of the next page. Mm -hmm. So you might miss, you know, let's say I'll say hypothetically, there's a card with exalted, you know. Yeah. And that'll like that word (laughs) exalted will be at the top of page two. And that's the only that's the only card text that's at the top of page two. You might miss that,
1: so be sure to look. Yeah, although you know, if, you're, if if you're someone printing the test, you should use. I've only found Safari version four to work, and it won't cut cards off if you do it that way. Oh, really? Yeah, Safari four. Like, I think I don't know what Safari's up to now. I know it's much further than four, oh. but you can go out there and find a, a version of that, and it'll print okay. Okay,
3: so so these are all things that that we tell that we tell, uh, normal, uh, uh, or, or when we're, when we're just giving a, a, an L1 test out. Um, however, there are some additional test taking strategies for people that might have difficulty taking tests, right? Yes. Uh, and, that, and that's, uh, that's one of the, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring Calvis on. Uh, he was referred to us by Tasha Jamison, uh, through Kevin Benzwanger as someone who has developed some very good test-taking
1: capabilities or test-taking strategies uh to deal with his particular situation. So Calvis, what yes. you got? Yeah, what what do you what have you done in the past, Calvis?
0: Well, um one thing I'm sure nobody knows that uh, I have dyslexia. I actually have it. It's um it's been tough basically taking you know just taking tests and stuff like that even through school it was it was really hard uh but i had to work out different ways to to cope with it and to take different tests Mm -hmm. so i've kind of implanted you know imparted them to taking these tests for uh judges and uh yeah it's worked out pretty good uh one of the things that i touched on earlier was uh the highlighting things uh circling things you know just kind of to let you you know make your mind say hey there's something here you got to pay attention to it another thing is those cards that you hand out the lands and everything i like to um cover up a lot of the stuff like the like the the cards itself how it prints on the um, actual test that cover that up and just just kind of read everything you know just kind of so Soak it in and then look at the cards, uh, see what the cards do. And the, it's kind of a time consuming deal, but it, it kind of helps everything sink in, especially what a person is with my, uh, my disability. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of different things. Um, the hi- highlighting part, um, just reading over things two or three times to soak it in. And, uh, yeah, just stuff along those lines.
1: I've heard there's a, uh, a special font. You can use. have you Do you have any experience with that? I've heard there's a font that's supposed to be easier for people with dyslexia to read.
0: Uh, I, I've i never seen it. <laughs> to okay. be honest with you, any, any, font, any font I look at it, unless I, you know, the longer I look at it, the longer I stare at it, uh, stuff starts jumbling up. And yeah, it gets pretty bad.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't understand why a font would be helpful at all.
0: Yeah, it's, I've, it's I've something
3: we have a. We have a judge, an L0, who's studying to become a judge uh, here in Florida who uh, has dyslexia. And what Sean Cantonese actually – I think he wrote a, a brief article on the wiki, and he, he says that there's a font that he's had limited – or he's had some success out in California with, and – we we got the font and we 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 gave it to the individual who said that it did it did help uh uh, uh measurably uh i think it like i looked at it and it seems like it makes the the words a little uh, a little squatter i guess is probably the best way to describe it
0: yeah the 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 width between uh words um, letters and words helps a lot because it lets you distinguish what's going on in that word. The tighter stuff is or the smaller or, um, basically the, the tighter the font is, stuff starts getting jumbled with a person with dyslexia. You know, kind of the, not necessarily the bigger, but the the further it is spread out, it, it, it helps a lot. And then you can actually, uh, go through it and decipher what's going on. Yeah.
3: I'm trying to get the. The name of the, the name of the font. So let me, let me ask this, uh, just for, from a purpose of learning, okay, so the test taking is, you know, the The, the activity that you do that shows that you have learned the necessary material. But even getting to that point, I mean, being a judge, uh, being a judge involves a lot of, a lot of reading. So what are, what are some, what are some things you do to, to help study the rules?
0: Well, Adobe, uh, Acrobat Reader's got this beautiful thing called, uh, you know, uh, text to speech and I, when I was trying to learn the comprehensive rules, I must have listened to that thing seven times. Now, it's boring. God, is <laughs> boring. But uh, you, you, I printed – what I did personally, I printed it out. And as it was reading it to me, I'd follow along and just try to comprehend as much as I could. If there's some stuff I missed, I just wouldn't worry about it, went back to it, went on through it again. Videos. <laughs> Videos has helped me out a lot uh anybody with uh, any kind of well let me let me rephrase that any not anybody a lot of people it, like you said earlier they learn different people everybody learns different i think that uh, a person with a um a learning disability they visualize a lot better than they do read so videos help me out a lot what
1: what kind of videos like we the
0: uh yeah i was actually i was bringing it up i'm sorry about that no, uh um, sorry uh, Magic the Judging, okay. uh, hosted by Paul uh, Paul Smith guy. Yeah, we we've, we've mentioned that. That one helped me a lot. <laughs> I like that one. Um, what about I see podcasts? Here any? Po- yeah, I, I listen to y'all once in a while. No, <laughs> all right. Shout every out there. Once, like, what's up?
1: Every once in a while. <laughs> well, <laughs> any, any other
0: podcasts? Uh No.
3: <laughs> there you go. Excellent. The answer we wanted to hear.
1: No <laughs> other podcasts are found. Are you? Yeah.
0: There I are know, no others. I know y'all. That's about it.
3: <laughs> as <laughs> but, it should be.
0: On uh, on YouTube, this guy called uh, Doctor Y Magic. I don't know who it is, but ah, he,
1: that's he, he, that would be Mister Elliot. Yeah. yeah
0: he funny. he put up some stuff from uh, apparently some of the judge conferences, and uh, I've never had a chance to attend a judge conference, and now I really want to attend one. They look like they go over a lot of stuff as well.
1: There's actually if you go to the judge conferences page on the wiki, uh, Star City will record some of theirs and then they put links to them on the on the wiki so that you can go view the archives of them so that 's pretty helpful sometimes
0: i was um, I was actually thinking about trying to put something together on YouTube kind of like a, um, a a teaching tool uh-huh. uh, you know just kind of going through it. Breaking stuff down and having like little things to uh, print out the link to the page or whatever to actually show what I'm talking about at the time. So, you know, kind of like a, a teacher student type deal. I think it would be quite nice.
2: I think that'd be an excellent, uh, an excellent resource for a lot of people actually.
0: It, it, well, a lot of people don't have, you know, chances to uh, well, take Louisiana for example. For the longest time, we didn't have very many judges in Louisiana. So, a person that wanted to be a judge just pretty much had to wing it on their own. But if those those tools were online and available, I think you know it helped a lot of people out that didn't have access to a judge or didn't have you know have the the ability to read the comprehensive rules all in you know a few sittings or whatnot.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd ever recommend reading all of the
0: comprehensive <laughs> rules. <laughs>
1: I've certainly never done it. It's it's uh, a I, better I, love
3: story than Twilight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done it. I also wouldn't recommend doing it. <laughs> uh, it it's it's pretty dry. I mean, some of things are really good, and then you get, you know, even right at the beginning subsections that are like, the participants in a game are called players. Like,
3: yeah. So let me, so let me ask this. Okay, so we've all, we've all and I'll admit this too. we've all, we all say that we've read the comprehensive rules, but then we also say, but I wouldn't recommend
1: doing it. Well, <laughs> we've I've all done it. I've said that I haven't read the comprehensive rules, so. Well, that's why you're bad.
2: No. Oh. Okay, so let me clarify what I was saying there. Um, I think it's very important to read certain sections of the comprehensive rules, and I, I think it's good to look up anything that you need to understand better. But I think reading it from cover to cover is going to be less productive because you're going to get significantly less out of it. Yeah, and uh, you're going to get bored halfway through, or even just part of the way through. You're going to be reading a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, and then when you get to the stuff that does matter, you won't be able to to to. Uh, facilitate that information properly.
3: You're gonna read the rule that tells you where you can locate FNMs at. <laughs> there, there is a rule that tells you that you may use this website to locate uh, magic events.
0: Wow. Hey, I well, said, I, I said said I it,
3: really. What would a GRV for that rule look like? <laughs> if you didn't show up, <laughs> you may use this. You may use this website to find events. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So, Calvis, um so do you have any advice for judges who, who let's let's say an uh they they are presented with an L0 candidate, a guy that wants to become a judge. Okay. And he has dyslexia or or, or some sort some sort of reading disability. Uh what advice can you give to that L2 who who is working with that L zero to help them become uh, an L one?
0: That's a good question. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a real I... good question. Well, one thing a person with a disorder like mine they they have a tendency to want to give up because it just it, it, they they can't do it or I'll just give up. Uh, I'll find something else to do. I would tell the L2 to, to, to keep on him basically, to keep him motivated, to keep him, you know, uh, keep the incitement into it, you know, keep him wanting to do it versus then, you know, okay, well, this is what you need to do, then do it. Uh, be more active with him, uh, take him to tournaments or, you know, show him what's going on. Uh, if he, if you see him, if you see him struggling in a certain spot, sit down, help him with it, you know, um, that's one of the, that's about the only thing I could really, advice I can give to that. Because it's, it's, when it comes to dyslexia and things along those lines, just a reading disorder, the person's got to want to do it before he actually does it.
1: Well, that's I mean, that's good advice because part part of the point of this show is uh, not just to help judges with dyslexia, but also to help those testing judges with dyslexia. Because mm-hmm. you know I I I have no idea. I don't you know I I wouldn't know where to begin. I don't even I don't know right. is what I'm saying. <laughs> right it, and. and- and i actually had a few
3: uh, a few months ago one of one of our one of our l2s you know came up and he was like hey i've got i've got a you know i've got this guy who's you know got dyslexia how do i how, how do i approach them and it was kind of one of these things where it's like i'd never thought of that before uh let's try and figure something out. Um, and we were just kind of making it up as we went along. Yeah.
0: One thing one thing to always know about a person with dyslexia is they're going to try to hide their dyslexia. They're going to try their best to make you think that they ain't got it. So if a person comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I got dyslexia, blah, blah, blah. I've tried to hide it so many – I'm 35 now. I've tried to hide it so many years, and finally about five years ago, I just said, to hell with it. I'm just going to go with it, you know, so mm-hmm. – but uh, you, a lot of people that has that kind of disorder, unless they're comfortable with it, they're going to try to hide it. So uh, it's it's hard to approach somebody that says they have it, because a lot of times they just might not want to do it. Is that a right oh, thing to so, say?
3: Yeah. So they they use it as as an excuse. An excuse. So I'm <laughs> a bad right. test taker, so I'll just say I have dyslexia, and then people won't expect more out of
0: me. Exactly. Exactly. You you run you run across that a lot and it's it's sometimes it's bad uh but it makes it bad for the people that actually have dyslexia and be like, you know, well I run across those 4 you're just lazy, you don't want to do it. No, I've really got it. You know, it just that's, it just makes it bad on everybody.
3: Yeah, that's really tough though. I mean, I I got to say that if someone comes up to you and tells you that you they have dyslexia, you you, you got to take them at that. I mean, you can't right? <laughs> No, you're lying
0: you know We're- that's that's kind of like you know uh whenever i become level two be like i got dyslexia okay well i do too then he'd be like damn <laughs> i ain't gonna get away with it there be like no you're not <laughs> you know
2: so do you think that you would end up being uh maybe a little bit more uh hard isn't the word i'm looking for but like push a little harder with someone who says that in the sense of oh well in that case you know you needed to know this stuff more so so that that we don't have errors because of that uh in addition to errors because you you don't know the answer to a question yes yes uh, so so you, like, so somebody says that, he, he, it, it really doesn't matter whether it's honest or not. If you go, oh, okay, well, then let's make sure you absolutely sure you know this topic. Uh, right. Th- let's, that kind of gives you an excuse to, to review it anyway, right? If, they, if you, they get a question wrong and they go, oh, well, that's because I have dyslexia, then you, you could still kind of circumvent that by saying, oh, well, because of that, then we need to review this more.
0: Um, yeah, since since you know since you you are fighting with this, I've got some you know some things that I need you to 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 work on a little bit more. You know these these are the things that are really going to you know test you, and you need to you know work on them as much as you can, just because you yeah, have that.
2: Right. I I don't believe that somebody who really wants to pass the judge test is going to let that stand in their way in the long run. Exactly. It, it might it might slow them down but uh and probably will slow them down at least a little bit but they're if that's what they really want they're going to make sure that happens that's true people in general
0: yeah if a person if a person really wants to do it it don't matter what's what what's wrong with them or what uh well wrong with them may be the wrong word but it don't matter what kind of um obstacles that they got to fight for you know if they want it bad enough they're going to do it no matter what so that's basically it you know
1: that that um that just ties back into our more general test tasting – test taking – test tasting. That's gross. Test taking tips. Test tasting. Okay. <laughs> <Yum, laughs> um, yes. Awesome. They this test- loop
0: leaf <laughs> is good.
1: It <They> tastes like <laughs> apples and – Tears. I can't think of a food that starts with N. Oh. Nuts? Apples and nuts. All right. Apples and nuts. No, no, but Okay. But if Zingy. you if you fail the judge test, I mean you heard it. CJ says the t- the test tastes like nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's borderline for Judge Gas, but it it, it stays.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh,
1: if you fail the judge test, though, just you know take it again later. It's it's not the end of the world. You know, there's no I, reason to quit or anything like that.
0: I actually did. I I failed my level one the first time I took it. Yeah. So what I did, I just. You know, went back to my study guides and everything else I had and went and took it again and blew it out of the water.
1: Yeah, there's just, there's just no reason. I mean, you can continue to judge without being officially certified. There's, there's no reason to give up at that point. If, if that happens to happen, just keep going. I mean, you'll get there.
0: My, my, just my best advice I can give anybody for that's got any kind of disability like that that wants to become a judge and is just do it. Just, you know, do whatever it takes to learn to learn it and do it basically don't I've give up ever
1: that is perfect, and I think from there we can jump into a topic that I feel like we've been avoiding, but Brian really wants to talk about it speaking speaking of never giving up let's talk about people that
3: won't give <laughs> up on let miss triggers all this triggers.
2: See, if they just voted for me. me, If they just
1: voted for me. That episode came out like a week later than when I I I submitted it. So the joke was so old by the time it even came out. So sad.
3: So, (sighs) just, just kinda briefly, there's been huge outcry. Okay, so for, for those of you who may or may not be aware, the miss trigger policy changed several weeks, months ago, so that now we we did away with the whole lapsing trigger thing. If you miss a trigger, it's poof gone, unless your opponent wants to have it placed on the stack. Okay, so that that is predominantly there so that if you miss your benefit, if you miss a trigger, that is not bad for you. Okay. Your opponent can just keep his mouth shut and not say anything and allow you to continue to, to to miss that trigger. But if you miss a trigger that is bad for you, he can call and say, "Judge, I want I
1: want that bad thing to happen because it's supposed to." And if you listeners at home want to learn more about that, listen to episode number 49, Tireless Toby talks triggers yeah. at at mtgi- com.
3: So, there's there's been a whole lot. One is people and and I almost did it just a, a moment ago. They want to talk about uh missing beneficial triggers. You know and i want I want to point out that there is the i p g does not say anything about beneficial triggers okay it's it's basically it talks about detrimental triggers, okay you get a warning if you miss a detrimental trigger, okay the choice of whether or not to have it put on the stack is the opponent's call okay there is no you know oh, you can miss your beneficial triggers all day beneficial is not in. in In the IP world, beneficial is not the opposite of detrimental. There's a nice big gray
2: area of kind of neither. Well, it's not just that it's not the opposite. It's that the IBG doesn't care. It it doesn't care whether or not it's beneficial to you. It cares whether or not it's detrimental to you. Uh, And not being detrimental does not necessarily mean beneficial. And so
3: people will be like, oh, well, Bob's been ruled a beneficial trigger. No, it's not a beneficial trigger. It's been ruled not detrimental. Using the, 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 the guidelines of determining how to determine whether or not something is detrimental. So, you know, it's, it's... Not, you know, that kind of skirts around the hole. It's like, well, it's, it's beneficial in some cases and it's detrimental in others. It changes. It's like, no, you just, you just look at it and you go, why is that trigger on the card? You know, Bob would not be played if it didn't have that trigger. Therefore, it's not a bad trigger in a vacuum.
1: So I don't know how deep you want to go down this rabbit hole. Oh,
3: well, right. no, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. So, so what made me want to put this thing on the, the, the docket for today is, Evan Irwin put out a episode of the magic show where, uh, he is echoing what a lot of, uh, that has been, that has been said by, by pros in, in articles, uh, most of uh, Melissa, uh, del Toro and, uh, was it Turn- Turnwald, Uh wrote articles, and they basically said, when I don't let my opponent get his trigger, I feel like it. And Evan even goes so far to say, you know, before the old way, when we, they had to point out their opponent's missed trigger. So it used to be if your opponent missed his trigger, you had to point it out. You had to point it out right then and there, you know, as soon as you noticed. And if you didn't, you were cheating. Now your opponent misses a trigger, you can just let it go. and only Let it go, if- man. Just let it go. Just let it go, man. And if you want it to happen, you call a judge and it, it happens. Or if they fail to say something, if they fail to acknowledge their trigger in some way, they don't get it. And he says, like, before you felt like Superman, and now you feel like a superhero, like a joke, like, like, ha, 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 I tricked you. And what I'd like to do, I'd like to point out that uh, not really, you can still feel like Superman, and you can actually feel more like Superman given the existing policy before – had to miss trigger. Okay, you had to point it out if you noticed it, or else you were cheating. You were going to be qualified, mm-hmm. so you had to say, you know, hello there, good citizen. I believe you missed the trigger. Here, I shall call a, a judge to our benefit, and he will sort this matter out. You know, and you're like, dun da da. I feel like Superman. That's what Evans' article is is proclaiming. It's like, well, not really, because you were only doing that because you had to. If you didn't and got caught. You were going to be disqualified. Right. So you were basically, the rules of the game were forcing you to do it. Now, the rules of the game give you a choice. If he misses his trigger, you can say, oh, hello there, citizen. I believe you missed your trigger. I will be the fine upstanding man and put it on the stack.
1: Now you can really be Superman. There's nothing forcing you to do it. Is this like when Green Goblin had that bus full of kids hanging off one side of the bridge and then Mary Jane hanging off the other side of the bridge and Spider-Man had to choose which one to save?
0: I don't think it's anything like
2: that.
1: Oh. <laughs> I don't think it's choice, but that was, like, two bad things. This,
3: this is, <laughs> really, if you're like, hey, I want Superman and I want to feel noble and good, well, this the, the current Mistrigger policy, you know... Be that guy. And there's no there's no gun to your head. You know, Spencer doesn't force Superman to be a good guy. Superman wants to be a good guy because he's a good guy. <laughs> so your opponent misses a trigger. Hey, that's you missed your trigger. I'm gonna be good, call a judge and put that on the stack for you because I'm a good guy. But instead, the people they wanna they wanna like know, well, you know, I don't wanna be I wanna win more than I wanna be a good guy, so I'm just gonna not say anything. And take advantage of the fact that he missed something and the rules let me and then I feel bad about it, but not bad enough to stop, you know? And it's, it's sort of like in, in, in my opinion, it's, well, they liked it better when the rules made them do something, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and they could, they could, you know, well, I I have to do it. It's the, the rules are making me. Now the rules are letting them do something and they're doing it and they're like, oh,
1: uh,
2: uh, shenanigans.
1: I, feel, I feel
3: like a jerk because I didn't let me do I could do, some, do something to not feel like a jerk but then that puts me at a strategic disadvantage and there's money on the line so I'm going to be a jerk and you guys have to fix
1: it so that I don't feel like a jerk I still want to win them <laughs> so All right. if we're going to talk about this topic though I do want to mention one thing that's been bugging me. What's uh is um you know your opponent doesn't have to announce their trigger. They just have to be aware of. The, they just have to be aware that is of it. That's actually that's actually not true.
2: They have to demonstrate awareness.
1: Yeah, they have to demonstrate awareness. Yeah. They,
2: they can't go, "Oh, well I knew about it. I just
1: didn't say it." Right, right. But they don't have to announce it. And what I mean by that is is there's been that Power Heart Wolf example that's been going around. Sure. It's the non-visual trigger. Are the are the biggies like exalted and pyroheart wolf and that kind of thing? Yeah. So the big example that's going around the internet right now is is if I attack with a pyroheart wolf and you say you're only going to block with one creature and I say hey shouldn't you have to block with two creatures? That to me says that I was aware and I am demonstrating awareness of my trigger. Right. So if if you attack if you attack and I go block
3: with this dude and you go uh that needs to be two. Yeah, then then you've demonstrated you are fine. If uh if if you attack and I go block with this dude and you go okay, uh oh hey wait. Yeah. That's no. That's that's missed. Uh exalted is another I mean I I guess this all this all comes down to the the things that are non-visual. And the the non-visual triggers because people a lot of people are like, "Oh, well hey, you know, we used to not have to say anything and they just happened." So why can't that be the way now? I mean, they're supposed to happen anyway. Well, the well, the the counter to that is all right. So if I if if I attack with an exalted guy, okay, let's say for example, let's let's just play pretend for a second and say that that they happen, okay. So I attack with my exalted guy, okay, and I don't say anything, okay, it's a, it's a 3-3, it's a, it's a 2-2 with exalted, so it's really a 3-3, so I go swing with my 2-2, exalted trigger resolves, nobody says anything, nobody acknowledges anything, and I block with, uh, with my 2-2, okay, and I go, okay, they trade, you go, no, I think I mixed up which one of us is attacking and which one's blocking. <laughs> I think I became both of them in that example. This is why you, Dabby but- and Nathan.
0: Yeah, okay. okay a so, and a and yeah,
3: A and N. So A attacks with a 2 2 guy with exalted, becomes 3-3, N blocks with a 2-2, and N's like, hey, they both they both trade. And A is like, oh no, no. This trigger resolved. And N is like, yeah, but you didn't announce your trigger and you know, I don't and so you missed it. And he's like, oh no, you see, there's this subset of triggers that I don't have to announce. I don't have to say and it's like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm confused. We now have lists of triggers that do automatically happen and triggers that don't automatically happen and it it, it it'll create more confusion." So mm-hmm. just for consistency's sake, just just say everything. Yeah, just say everything. You know, and, and you're done with it. Now I realize that like strategically people are getting upset. It's like, oh, well I was counting on the fact before that my opponent would forget about exalted. Well, they can still forget after you tell them, you know, maybe tell a story, you know, <laughs> dance a little, you know, dance a little jig, something like that. Yeah, you could pull like a look over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got exalted. What was that?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Superman and the Joker,
3: we're Just fighting my... it
0: out. Well,
1: that's all I wanted to say about triggers. Do you have more? No. Yeah, I didn't. We, we even avoided this last last episode, but we talked. So one
2: about thing it. I want to mention: one thing that, that Toby's brought up about Miss Triggers, uh, yeah. since we're on the topic, uh, is that out of order sequencing is something we're going to have to be dealing with a lot with this new policy. Right. Um, so uh, an example is. Uh, of an out-of-order sequence that happened to me this last weekend at the SCG Invitational uh, is a player has uh, a creature with Rancor in play, and uh, his he blocks a guy, and this creature with Rancor dies. And so he puts the creature in the graveyard, and the Rancor's still in the battlefield. He goes, after combat... And, or I'm sorry, he attacks with it and it dies. He goes after combat and he casts a creature and sets it on top of the rancor. And the opponent calls a judge of his judge. He never said anything about his rancor trigger. And it's clear that he was out of order sequencing his just playing the rancor again mm-hmm. from the way he tapped his mana. Uh, this is sufficient demonstrating demonstration of awareness and it falls classically into how we deal with, with out of order sequencing with everything else. Um, and uh, this was actually something that came up and, and was ruled one way and, and appealed. And, and the appeal was was uh, the, the, the end result being, yes, you have a guy with a rancor on it. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and and we'll, Toby's written two really good articles about this ever since it yes. all became a thing. And so we'll post those in the show notes. So that's awesome. awesome. Hey. Sweet. Hey. Let's do some emails. All right. Calvis. I
0: ain't got Aww. no emails.
1: As the guests on this show, we expect all guests to say, Let's 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 make it consistent right now, guys. Is a mailbag or mail time? I don't Ma- care. Mail, mail time. Mail time. You can say, drag it out. Yes, say mail time, and a loud, obnoxious voice. Please, sir, do it now. Mail time. Yes, I love it. Ben McDole's all. Oh, I don't know. Do I have to? I'm Ben McDaniel. Countless just jumps into it.
0: What's up here?
3: That was, that was actually on the, on the episode of Judge Cast that we recorded last year, the, the Florida edition that never got published. There was a whole lot of, uh, I'm not doing this, this, this cutesy, uh, radio <laughs> shtick thing that you want to do. I'm like, no, Ben, this is, this is what you do to, you know, make things entertain. Yeah, that's not me. I'm just going to be gruff and serious.
0: Well, screws, go have your eggnog and shut up. <laughs>
1: wow. 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 Attacking the level threes, finally. Somebody Cal- said it. Calvis. <laughs> I heart you. you...
0: I'm I not scared of nobody. All right. <laughs> I'm not scared.
1: You will be when you meet him.
0: All right. <laughs> I probably will.
1: Our first email comes from Jake Jones. He has a couple of questions. His first question is, blah, 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 blah. In an episode, you discussed extra cards in the deck box. My question is this, Pack Rat and other, qu- and other cards like it. Would having Pack Rats in different sleeves be considered tokens if your deck count matches your deck sheet? Would it matter if token was written on the cards? Is not being in a sleeve at all, akin to being in a different sleeve. So basically the question is, can we have packer, if I have pack rat in my deck, can I have a bunch of other pack rats in my sideboard to count as tokens for the original pack
2: rat? I, I, I'd like to tackle this one because I think this is actually just, uh, uh, we more or less talked about this in the episode he's referring to, uh, uh, but he's asking for an explanation.
1: Yeah, uh, actually, he actually asked this the day after we recorded that episode. Oh, okay. But I figured okay. we just cover it again right now.
2: Sure. So, Pack Rat, a couple of things are going on here. First of all, don't use Pack Rat as a Pack Rat token, ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, because it's not a token, it's a magic card. And that creates a, a really awkward looking game state and it's technically not something we can let you do in a tournament. So, so first of all, that, I mean, that, that solves your problem right there. You can't use Pack Rat as a Pack Rat token. Now, if you could make a token that looks like a Pack Rat, that's fine. But if it's actually the Magic Card Pack Rat, don't use it. To answer the second part of your question, if it's a Magic Card with your sideboard, it could be played in the format. It doesn't matter what kind of sleeve it's in. Uh, you, you shouldn't have it there. Uh, if you're presenting your sideboard and storing that in your deck, that's one thing. I'm sorry, your deck box, that's one thing. But if it is stored with your sideboard during your match, uh you could end up getting yourself into uh, a, a world of problems with game losses. So please don't do that either. And I think that answers all of these questions here. Uh, pretty, pretty, yeah, sufficiently. One, uh, one, one thing: um, the the sleeves
3: actually in. I guess if it's the the only time you can. It, You, you can have, for double face cards, or, uh, dual sided, dual, double face cards, dual face cards, you can put, like, an extra four copies of, like, the night side of whatever, in with your sideboard, but they have to be in different sleeves, the same thing with, uh, the promo card that you receive at, like, a GP, if it's something that's conceivably playable. Right. Those are explicit, spelled out exceptions but just normal old hey these are cards that could possibly be played in my deck i'm just going to stick them with my sideboard and lol they're in different sleeves uh so the judges will know no it's still it's still too much of a of a chance for shenanigans
2: so that's this is all something we we talked about i think on our last episode uh and yeah if you Listen to that, read the IPG about, uh, marked cards. If you're, if you have a question about that and deck deckless problems, those two things. Marked cards, not so much, but when I mean, you talk about DFCs, I, I want to bring that up. And that's all going to be, you know, pretty clear as to what you can and can't do. I understand people wanting to use Pack Rat as a Pack Rat token. That's cute. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> It'd just be so easy to just like throw that thing in your graveyard too, you know, and just shuffle it. Yes. The deck. Like it, it's just trouble. Just don't do that. All right. What was his second question? His, his second question is like more of a templating question, so I'll just cover it real quick just because it's not really a judge question, but uh, he's asking about the wording on Howling Mine, which Howling Mind reads, at the beginning of each player's draw step, if Howling Mine is untapped, that player draws an additional card. He was wondering why is the word additional in there? Like, it's technically not necessary to have the word additional there, right? If it just said at the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card, or at the beginning of your draw step, draw a card, the card would still work, but... I think that's just a little bit of a templating thing. I think part of the reason is, and and Jake brings this up, is that if I had a card, if I'm a new player and I have a card that says, at the beginning of each player's draw step, draw a card, I'd be like, <laughs> well, duh. Yeah, duh. I'm already doing this. What does this card do? I yeah. I, I could find that confusing. Like, I, I legitimately oh. used to believe you had to cast the card named Sacrifice to sacrifice a creature.
3: Or or maybe if it if it is tapped, then I don't get to draw my card at
1: all. Yeah. So they just throw additional on there. Just like um, there's a there's a newer card, Grave Betrayal, and among a bunch of things it does, it brings a creature back from the graveyard with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. And I think the reason it says additional there is because if you're bringing back someone with Unleash, you know it could just say with a plus one plus one counter and it would still work with Unleash. But it kind of tells players just a little bit of the rules there. Some sometimes
3: sometimes cards have we'll say unnecessary text on it just for the point of clarity. Like if you look at all of the allies from Zendikar, okay, they say uh, something along the lines of whenever, you know, this card or another ally comes into play, do X. Well, you could have, from a rule standpoint, you could have just said whenever an ally comes into play, do X. But from a new player perspective, uh it actually helps them go like, oh I get it for this guy too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it does it it doesn't cost anything or I mean it does cost a little bit but you're gaining a whole lot more clarity for the people who are just learning the rules.
0: I, I kinda I kinda the additional and in addition it's kinda like uh, you know you got something else going you got something going on here but there's something else going to happen as well, kind of like the Howlin' Mine deal. You're going to draw your card, but hey, guess what? Howling Mine lets you draw another one in addition to the one yeah. you're going to draw during that step already.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's mostly just for newer players. All right, Calvin, so I think we're going to throw this next question at you Mm-mm. because I think, we've, I think each one of us individually have answered this question on this show at some point, so let's go ahead and answer it again.
0: No, i this, one,
1: this one's from Connor from MA, which is Massachusetts. Mm. Yes, right? Yeah, I hey. think so. Alright, his first question is, if Andrew controls a Young Wolf with a plus one plus one counter on it, so Young Wolf is just a one one undying. Okay. And Norm blocks, uh, the Young Wolf with the Glistener Elf. Glistener Elf is just a one one infect. Can the Young Wolf now undie? If it were to die later in the turn, could it come back?
0: Could it come back because, uh, see, it's undying, so it's plus one plus one? Mhm. Alright, sorry, I got the counter on and you blocked with a, uh, infect creatures is one one? Yep. Uh yeah, it could come back because the the uh the minus the minus counter and the plus counter would uh negate each other out and uh he would have no counters on him. So yeah. if he died later on he'd come back.
1: Yep. So then naturally he goes from there to ask the other question. So same young wolf with the plus one plus one counter. Okay. It attacks and it's blocked by Frickson Crusader, who is a two two with infect. So now he's actually dealing two damage to the young wolf. Is the young wolf gonna come back in this situation?
0: Um no because uh state base when when state based actions check uh they all happen at the same time, mm-hmm. so whenever he goes to the graveyard is going he's gonna have a plus counter on it and negative counters as well uh, so the last known information says, hey, you had both on you, so no you don't come back perfect cool
1: love it. <laughs> Answer the question
0: yay <laughs>
1: that question we've heard that question so many times what yeah. hey, i i like to i like to do the show under the assumption that everybody hasn't heard every episode, right? So sometimes we'll cover the same topic a few times.
0: It's always good, kind of kind of keep you on your toes. Yeah. Like All right. That.
1: So the next question comes from Sean. He re, he says uh, it is game two, and we are playing a black red mirror match in standard. My opponent is on the play and casts Grave Crawler. Uh, that's what that two one you can cast from the graveyard or something. Uh-huh. Anyway. He says, I cast Pillar of Flame, targeting the Gravecrawler, and he puts it in a zone that I assumed was the Exile Zone. So Pillar of Flame deals two damage, and if a creature dealt this way dies this turn, you exile it instead. Would die this turn. So he has no cards in his graveyard yet, so it's kind of a little ambiguous about what Exile Zone is, actually. On his turn two, he casts a second Gravecrawler from his hand, and then tries to cast the Gravecrawler from his quote-unquote graveyard, but he didn't actually stay this from his graveyard. I informed him that the Gravecrawler is exiled, and he says, oh yeah, I forgot. So... The question here is, well, the question he asks is, if a judge was called, would he have been able to cast a Gravecaller because of a missed trigger? So the first thing that jumps out there is there's no triggers involved anywhere on any of these cards. Uh, Pillar of Flame is a replacement effect. It replaces going to the graveyard with Exile when a creature dies. But the question here is basically how do you handle this situation if you're the judge called? And I'll let one of our L2s handle it since it is a policy question.
3: This is, this is some of the questions that I would ask when coming up here would be, okay, where has the graveyard been for, this is, I mean, this is game two. So where was the graveyard game one? Where was exile? Where, you know, was there an exile zone game one? Where was it? That kind of thing to, to determine you know, first off, give the thing a sniff test. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the guy is cheating. But, uh, since it is turn two, we've got, we, we have this wonderful fix for GRVs, uh, a partial fix of if a card is in the wrong zone, uh, we can move it to the correct zone if it, if it's been a turn. So we can just omni, 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 it's in, it's in, uh, it's in exile, uh, as the partial fix for
1: the, the game rule violation. Yeah. Or we could back up. We're probably not. Yeah. For something like this. This is such a simple situation that, you know, just put it back, whatever. <laughs> cause, cause it hasn't, it hasn't been a, it hasn't been more than a turn, right?
3: Like it that.
0: Turns out, yep. No, no
1: turn. let's, let's make it more
3: complicated. Okay. Let's say it's been three or four turns, and there's still nothing else in the graveyard. Uh, it's still that grave crawler is sitting there all by its itself. So, okay. And then he casts
1: okay.
3: it, and then he casts the second grave crawl, crawler, and now he tries to cast
1: it, and it's like, wait, no, that's exile. See, at that point, I would say it, it's pretty tough to say whether it was in the exile zone or the graveyard. And until anything else happens to say one way or the other, I'm just willing to say that it was always in the exile zone.
0: Well, I might be, you know, kinda of crazy here, but I'd I'd ask like, okay, how did he die? You know, what how did he get to the graveyard or how did he get exiled?
1: Yeah, I'm assuming uh, since well, we're like, being called. Pillar,
0: you know? <laughs> pillar of flame, okay, then he's exiled. You know, there's and not a whole lot, you know, spell resolved, he got exiled. You just put him in the wrong zone. That's what I do, but hey, what do I know? <laughs>
1: I just feel like nothing's yes. gone wrong until either another card that was meant to go to the graveyard goes on top of it, or uh, he tries to cast it. Right. I think up until that point, nothing has gone wrong.
2: So there's a clear—I'm yes. sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say—I was
3: going to actually prompt you, and then you started talking, so oh,
2: I, I think <laughs> that it all works well. Miscommunication here. So we have one player who thought, hey, this is in the Exiles. A, a player thought, hey, this is in the Graveyard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if we jump three or four turns into the future here, then we have the issue where this miscommunication has continued to be a problem. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm going to look at the player with the great crawler and say, "Do you, you know? Has anyone played pillar of flame against you before?" Because my first thought here is that somebody, something shady is going on, honestly. And I know that the scenario probably assumes that it's not, but but my first thought as a judge coming up on this situation is... In a standard format, your grave crawler will get killer of the flame quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it that you thought you could get away with this? But assuming that that we don't have a situation where he's cheating and this player just didn't realize for whatever reason, or just made the mistake. Really, what I think happened here, especially for three or four turns later, is he probably did exile it, and then he forgot what killed it, and it's the only thing sitting over here in the stack. That, so he assumes it's the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm going to go with I'm going to go with saying that that card is exile and you can't cast it. So
3: now here's here's a here's a thing. So if we go back to the original scenario where it's on turn two and ah. he's going and he's going to cast it, then is the GRV then that he's trying to cast
1: a card in ex from exile or that the that he put the card in his graveyard? See, I'm kind of saying the GRV is well. I'm kind of saying it just doesn't matter, but. It's because it's GRV either way, but I, I would say he's casting it from Exile. Yeah, I'm.
3: I'm actually now. Now that now that I pose the question of, well, hey, let's 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 advance a few turns, you know, and realizing that. Hey what we're saying the problem is kind of changes mm-hmm. a little bit you know and if it if it happened on the next turn we're saying hey well, it was in the graveyard let's move it to exile but if it happened like four turns later and it says well it was always in exile um i i think one of the one of the key questions would be where was the graveyard in game 1 yeah that's fair right if if the graveyard if the graveyard was right there next to his deck you know per, you know parallel to his deck or under it or something like that and that's where the card is now then I'm I'm kind of inclined to say that's graveyard and you know exile was turned sideways you know below the deck or something or above it or off to the side you know then then I'm more inclined to 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 say
2: you know I mean I think the the, the other thing here is so we may we may be overthinking this you know it, I I really feel like it's just GRB back up to before he cast grave color pre- grave color things I think it's that simple yeah I think I think um, that's it. But I also want to point out, this isn't a triggered ability, this isn't something you can ignore, this isn't something you can forget, it just happens. When, when a creature that's been dealt damage by a Pillar of Flame is destroyed, uh, or goes to the graveyard for any other reason, uh, instead of going to the graveyard, it is exiled. You don't no. have to announce it, and you can't let your opponent forget to do it. Right. Now would you, in this case,
3: because uh, we haven't mentioned it, failure to maintain game state on the opponent...
2: I don't believe
3: so. I don't believe so either because he does not yeah. really have the ability to
1: notice. Exactly. I agree. All right. Let's hop to our next F, uh, email from Lee, which I think Lee's emailing us like every show now, which I kind of appreciate. All right. He asks, if a player stacks his untapped lands flush with each other, so like from above, it would look like we have one single card. Does the same with his tap lands, and he'll show you each stack when asked, but refuses to spread out the lands for easier counting identification. The question is, what infraction, if any, has he committed? Uh, he feels like this has been a clear violation of the "don't be a jerk" REL philosophy, but what about <laughs> other enforcement levels? Well, if
3: if he's doing if he's doing this. It's, and it sounds like he is. He's refusing to spread the lands out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's intentionally doing this to make things difficult for his opponent. You know, I would ask him to not do it. Okay. And then tell him, if he continues to do it, tell him not to do it.
1: Yeah. See, I thought and then, then gonna... if he continues to do it, well, <laughs> we have an infraction for that. Right. I thought that was an interesting question, because strictly speaking, is there anything against the rules to stack your lands like that? I I don't believe there is.
3: No, but if you're, if you are, if you are intentionally taking actions to cause confusion, Mm -hmm. we're we're not going to allow that.
1: Right. Shenanigans. Shenanigans, correct.
0: That's the
2: four shenanigans.
0: That's the four shenanigans in this episode.
1: Come on. So, we got lots of shenanigans. Fifth. Alright. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's no, there's no infraction up up front. That's, that's kind of the point, right? Like, it's, it's one of those things where we don't want right. players to be doing it, but there's nothing against the rules for doing it. And once a judge asks you not to do it, you should probably stop doing it. So you probably just shouldn't be doing it uh, in the
2: first place. I mean, yeah, like, I, I feel like, you know, if a player asks you, hey, would you play your lands clearly, uh, clearly differentiated from each other? I, I don't think that's an unreasonable request. Yeah. If a player refusing to do that, then it's like they're, Trying to obscure that information, and there's a difference between not telling your opponent that information and trying to obscure it. Right. Uh, so the situation does have, you know, if you
1: ask him to show all the lands for a moment so that you can count them or whatever, he will do that. So
2: I don't feel like he's. So really- I mean, I would. Ask, so here's what I would in the situation by asking him why he's stacking them. If he says I'm stacking them way that way, you know, to make it easier for me to tap them or something, then I'm going to ask him. You know, well, doesn't this take extra time if your, uh, if your opponent keeps asking you to, to display them out? Like, it, it defeats the purpose of being easier to tap them.
3: Or, or okay. how are you tapping a subset of your lands? Are you, are you tapping out every turn? Right. You know, exactly. Cause, Cause if I've got, if I've got my six lands in a stack and now I have to tap three of them, you know, ba- ba- yeah, basically there's really no good reason to be doing it other than actually and and this isn't even a good reason. I don't want my opponent to be able to tell at a glance what I,
1: I've got. Yeah. All right. I think we covered that. I think it's good. Good comments everyone. Good job. High fives.
2: Yay. Uh, what, what, next, what is there? next?
1: Our next email comes from Jake, another email from Jake. He mentions uh that we mentioned randomizing for cascade, I guess when we were talking about insufficient shuffling in the in the previous show. Yeah. See, he asks, having cards in a random order and an unknown order can be two different things. So, uh, I, I seriously, I seriously almost just sent this guy just a picture back
3: of of like someone glaring. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Jake. Yeah, well, come on. I, I, a I thought better of it and gave you a real answer instead of right. a troll answer. But he
1: asks, when it I comes to, to cascade, the once the cards are randomized sufficiently, can you view the cards? The cards will be in a random order, despite having the order of them known.
2: Okay, so the reason that the, here's here's where this comes from. I, I actually understand why he has this question. He has this question because of a, a misunderstanding about where those where those cards are at any given time. Okay, so they're exiled, and then from at one point they're exiled in the order you cascaded cascaded them, mm-hmm. and at the next game state moment. They're on the bottom of your library in a random order. The bottom of your library is a hidden zone. So once you have randomized them, they are in that order. Or they are on the bottom of your library. Right. Even if they're not physically under the stack yet, uh stack of cards yet, uh, you can't look at them because they're part of your library. So the last point at which that information is available to you is while they are exiled before you start randomizing them. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: exactly. I mean, yeah, that's it. They're in your library. You can't you can't look at them. So
2: you know, the reason it does not specify that you have them face down or don't know them. Is because the library is already a hidden zone. It does not have to specify that. Right. All right.
1: I will cover this next email from Will, who has also emailed us before. I was actually writing the response earlier to him. It's actually it's another templating question, actually. So, I, but I thought it was kind of interesting. He says that uh, he just saw the IDW Turnabout promo. That's the the promos from the comic books with Dak Faden. Hold on, yeah here. Dak Faden. Dak Faden. Uh, he says, he Oh, let me. Basically, effectively, he wants to know why is the Oracle text reading differently than it did before. He says, under the current wording, it specifies that it only taps currently untapped objects or untaps tapped objects. As far as I know, tapping something that tapped or untapping something that's untapped both do effectively nothing. So why would Wizards go out of its way to add that word into the Oracle text? Is there anything I'm missing on this? So let me read the two oracle texts for Turnabout. Turnabout used to say when it was printed in Urza's Saga, it said tap or untap all artifacts, creatures, or lands target player controls. Now it says choose artifact, creature, or land. Tap all untapped permanents of the chosen type target player controls or untap all tapped permanents of that type that player controls. So... I was gonna, I was gonna mention why. Why does it do it this way? And it's simply enough is you cannot choose to tap something that is already tapped. Now that's different than saying, you know, if I cast sleep on you, it says tap all creatures target player controls. Yeah, it's gonna try to tap your tapped creatures, but it'll just do nothing. But if I'm presented a choice as to whether or not to choose to tap something or untap it, I cannot choose anything that is already tapped. And I think
0: well,
1: I don't think that applies. You don't think that applies here? I don't think that applies here because
3: you're you're the choice that you're making is uh, is choosing artifact creature or land, and then you're performing an action on a, a a subset of the permanence of that type.
2: Yeah. So the difference here is uh, it's just a clarification. Yeah. The, the yeah. New Oracle text specifies that you cannot both tap and untap right you can't tap these two guys and untap these two guys
1: right
3: oh yeah it's, uh, it's, it. it's also it's also like i think from a clarification standpoint like let's say you've got a tapped city of brass already city of brass is uh-huh. you know whenever it becomes whenever it becomes tapped take a point of damage so it's already tapped you've already taken the point of damage and then i choose to tap all lands well, now am I going to take an additional 1 point of damage from the city my city of brass becoming tapped again? No, because it it can't become tapped again when it's already in the tapped state. And this this, you know, heads that off entirely because I'm tapping all untapped permanents and my city of brass is not untapped.
1: So, I don't yeah, you right. guys are right. I wanted to have a fun lesson about tapping and untapping things, but you're right, I was misreading the card. Fine clarification it's okay. that's why it's okay cj you let me rant about superman and the joker Ooh, two more emails we had a lot of emails this week this we did. next one comes from brian not probably. hey what he opens it up with mailbag, which we've officially made mail time from now on out so brian remember that he says greetings judge cast even though i am not through episode 54 Just want to say that the portion I heard so far has been valuable information for me, and would like to formally request that for future episodes, please include the other sections of the IPG. Oh, I'm sure we'll hit all the topics in the IPG eventually. So he's saying he's still having a little bit of issues with the um, IPG, particularly a new trigger policy, but we're not going to get into that. And he does. He has a scenario that came up regarding tournament errors. He has two players, Player A and B. We'll say Player A and N. We're playing a match in competitive REL with a spectator watching. It becomes that a spectator. It becomes apparent that the spectator is a friend of both players. After what appears to be game one being over, while sideboarding, the spectator comments on player uh, on plays that player Aid missed and what he should have done with certain cards, and then casually walks away. Neither player calls a judge. What Brian wants to know is: Is this outside assistance, and if so, who should receive the penalty? Okay. So, so yes, it is outside assistance. Absolutely unquestionably.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. The spectator has, has committed that. If he is, if he is in the event, um, he gets himself a match loss for, it sounds, it seems like cause he's just watching his next, his next match. If he's not enrolled in the event, you enroll him in the event to give him the match loss and then drop him and you give him a nice, Please leave. (laughs) Please leave the area. Yes. Now this is, this is a, this is actually a, a, I'm going to say it's a pretty big problem for GPTs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because, you know, at F&Ms, you know, it's, it's still not, not allowed at F&M, but it's not punished as harshly. You know where players are just like, oh man, you should have done so and so, such and such, and then players come to these GPT, come to a GPT or come to another competitive event, and they want to play it like they do at FNM, where, you know, the guy behind the counter might not be paying as close to attention as he should, or might not be enforcing enforcing the jar as as completely as he should, and they're shocked, surprised. That, that they get, that there's, that something that they do at F&M gets them such a, such a stern penalty at a competitive level event. Right. That being said, not an excuse. You know, no. uh, you can, you can tailor how you explain the problem to them as a result of that, but it doesn't affect outside assistance, match loss for the guy, for the friend. Now this is assuming that he just offered up the information. Like if player A looked at him and was like, Oh man, what do you, you know? How am I supposed to beat this? And it's like a legitimate question, you know, as opposed to you know just kind of like I just got crushed, you know. But what are you gonna do? and then the player and then the spectator begins to tell him,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, yeah. If I mean, if he if he legitimately, if player A legitimately asks, how do I do this, you know, then player A is also committing uh, outside assistance by seeking additional information but if he's just kind of sitting there imagine a world for a second where you're playing your op- you're you know you're playing an opponent and that opponent's buddy comes up to you and tells you to play a particular card cuz it'll wreck his friend yeah and then you know the 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 your opponent gets to call a judge and just say hey he got outside of assistance he should get a match loss right exactly that would be horrible so if you don't if you don't ask for the information if someone just offers it up to you, you're, you're protected. That guy's going to get the match loss.
1: You're not. All right, let's dive in to our final question. Also from Jake, three emails from Jake, Jake, the snake, Jake, with the, okay, okay. Alright. a snake? Yeah, Jake the snake. Like,
3: just, and wow. I wanna know
1: where he, I wanna know where he was going with the second
2: one that he I was, trying, I was gonna up with other ones. I, I wanted going, to cut, I wanted to cut him off before he got there, see, cause I don't know CJ and his, Jake, his mind. Jake fakes Rakes. with a rake. Rake Jake <gasps> Jake. Hey.
1: Anyway, so what's this question? With the new trigger rules, how do you handle it if half a trigger is missed? And then he brings up a really interesting question, or card to use this example with. So, he brings up sword of light and shadow. Which reads: uh, Whenever a creature deals combat damage to a player, you gain three life, and you may return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So, what's interesting, of course, is that half of this is a may, but half of it is not. So, let's go through each situation, Jess.
2: Okay. So, there are several possibilities here. If we're assuming that we forget one half of it, first, let's assume they forgot to forgot to return the card. Uh, they gave the life, but they forgot to return the card, right? Yep. So uh well, that's a may. That's something you may do, and it is apparent that you chose not to. It's not really relevant that you didn't choose a target creature since you chose not to. Now, in the in the second case, which is that you forgot the life gain, but did remember the target creature, or the, the returning the creature, the, the life gain is not uh, optional, and you did not forget the triggered ability. You forgot... You forgot half of it. And this, so this isn't a miss trigger. You just improperly resolved your triggered ability. And we treat this as a game rules violation. And this actually hasn't changed with the new trigger rules. We treat this exactly the same way we would have before the mistrigger trigger rules, which is that it is a game rules violation. Uh, if it's still possible to back up, we will. Then uh, if it's not too damaging to the game state, we'll back up and then, uh, and then you guys can continue playing, and <laughs> one player will get a warning for game rules violation, and depending on what it's caught, the other player will get a warning for failure to maintain the game state. All right. Uh, a, a really, really uh, common offender of this in standard right now is Huntmaster of the Fells. Uh, it's pretty yes. common for people to put the wolf into play and forget the life, or vice versa, depending on which is most important at the time. Usually it's putting the wolf into play and forgetting the life. Oof. All right, you nailed it. Oof.
1: ooh, ooh. Calvis, I'm sorry I didn't ask you many questions there, but I didn't want to put you on the spot with policy questions as L1s are not meant to be policy masters. We got a lot of policy that, questions this time.
0: That's fine.
1: <laughs> Alright, Calvis, do you, first off, thank you for being on the show.
0: Hey, not a problem.
1: Did you have any, any means that you wanted people to contact you or anything like that? Twitter account, anything?
0: Uh, you can always find me at, uh, Calvis La Prairie at Facebook. Okay. And um if anybody ever wants to email me or ask me any questions or just any advice or anything, they can hit me up at uh, lorddraco one at gmail.com.
1: All right, great. And if you want to email JudgeCast, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. And also if you want a quick listing of our episodes, we do have mtgjudgecast.com up and running one listener did say it wasn't working but as far as i can tell it has always worked every time i've went to it but <laughs> but it basically works if, if mtg cast is working you know what i mean so if mtg cast was down briefly then so would mtg judge cast so because that's all it does is redirects there Ryan and jess you guys have anything else you want to add i do not good me neither <laughs> Ryan, did you want to talk about trigger some more no <laughs> rabble 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 Done.
0: Gun. Crumble, <laughs> grumble,
1: grumble. Crumble, Alright, we got it. Everybody out there listening, thank you for listening. Calvin, thank you again for being on. My name Hello. is CJ Trader. I keep it fair. Uh,
3: I'm Jess
2: Dunks. I keep
1: it fun. I'm Brian Perlman.
3: I keep it Kryptonian.
1: Kryptonian? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like making you come up with something every time. I know it's not easy. I know it isn't. When I'm, I'm just funny cuz
2: you have like 2 weeks to think about it, yeah, right? And you never I, think about it until about 5 seconds before you need to say something.
3: I don't I don't even think of it until it's out of my mouth and I'm like, what did I just say?
1: When I was first on Judge Cast, I spent all that day trying to think of what I was going to say, and then all I came up with was I'm CJ Schrader and I got nothing. <laughs> That's all I said. <laughs> I, but I literally spent all day trying to come up with something but the problem is they have that f theme going on so we're gonna be like i keep it fancy fresh i keep it frutasia.
0: y'all was being useful about something i for, it was <laughs> oh god i forgot what it was but well i'm glad we're useful about there okay. we go
3: there we go there's our tagline <laughs> judge cast we're useful about something, <laughs>
0: something. <laughs> you go
3: cj are you king of the call i'm always king of the call okay baby yeah. don't worry wow.